If you play along for some name that tune, I bet you can't name this one. Wait for it. Just wait for it. You'll recognize the voice for sure. Tell by the look on your face, Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass. Now, we're all about transparency on this show. You look a little less than impressed. Uh, that sounded very 90s. <laughs> <laughs> that You know what? It could have been. In fact, it was very much 1991 on this day, February the 16th, 1991. The Simpsons. We're at number one on the UK singles chart with that song called Do the Bartman. I don't understand the British. That's an excellent point. Who really does? <laughs> they are very amusing, though. But yes, how that got to number one on the UK singles chart. And look, I could have gone with a classic with a staple today because it was also on this day in 1985. Number one on the U.S. charts with some guy named Bruce Springsteen. You may have heard of him, the song Born in the USA. You may have heard of that. You probably heard it a thousand times, a million times in your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know what? We're going to go just a little bit different. It's Friday, feeling a little eclectic. Do the Bart Man. Here is my confession about The Simpsons. I've never seen an episode. Never watched it. At this point... I don't see why I would ever, because I can carry that around like a badge of honor. For more than 30 years, this cartoon has been on TV. I've never watched it once. That's insane. Right? How? I don't know. I really, I I honestly don't know. And I guess if I'm being perfectly honest, I do seem to recall a time, my buddies and I way back when, because this show has been on since we all were, you know, before kids and before (laughs) wives and all that stuff. And we were, we'd get together on Sundays and watch football. And I seem to recall one Sunday after football, Simpsons are on. My buddies were super excited. Oh, it's the Simpsons. I'm like, okay, that's it. So clearly you have kept up with the Simpsons over all these years. Uh, I haven't kept up, but I've seen an episode. You've seen it? <laughs> <I think> that's <laughs> that's the... more keeping up than I've done. Uh, fair enough, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> Here's a little pro tip to any television producers out there the way to make a show that lasts for three decades is to make it a cartoon because then you don't have to worry about the characters the actual actors in your show aging bart is forever what however how old is he 12 13 whatever he is he's always that age doesn't change yeah because the cartoon is the cartoon you just got to make it good you got to make it good and they clearly have the writing staff to do that here's another fun fact about that song, Do the Bartman, co-written 
by none other than Michael Jackson. Really? Yes. And if you think of the song you just heard, I think you can hear a little bit of Michael Jackson's flair attached to it, particularly Michael Jackson circa 1991. Yeah, definitely in like the instrumental. Michael Jackson was such a big fan of The Simpsons. He called the producers of the show one night and said, I want to write a song for Bart. And by the way, I also want to do a guest spot on the show. And isn't that just the most Michael Jackson thing or really the most celebrity thing? I really like this show. I'm going to phone up the producers. Yo, it's Michael Jackson. Sorry. Yo, it's Michael Jackson. And next thing you know, do the Bart man. That song became the first song featuring cartoon characters to make number one since the Archie's hit in 1969. Sing it along with me. Sugar, sugar. Anyway, there you go. Do the Bartman. Number one on the UK singles charts on this day in 1991. All right. As we do every morning after the night before, we get the opportunity to do a little bit of this. And in fact, today we're doing a lot of it. Back in over the line now for Matthews. Scores! Marner doesn't shoot it, but Matthews doesn't. He scores! Holy mackerel, what a bullet! Lillardman to Matthews again. Scores! Holy mackerel, he's done it again. Austin Matthews with his third. Goals number 43, 44. And 45 for Austin freaking Matthews. Best player in the National Hockey League today. The Leafs win. The Leafs win over the Philadelphia Flyers last night. 4-3. to three. I know, they blew a third period. Lead again, those ding-dang Leafs. But Austin Matthews scores three. He's got 45 on the season in just 51 games. And it was the Natty Matty hat trick. The natural hat trick, the Natty Hattie, the kids call it. Austin Matthews will call him Maddie for the sake of the rhyme. The Natty Maddie hat trick for Austin Matthews last night. Little AM on AM in the AM. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. All right, then how about five? How about the Farwell Show five for this Friday morning, the 16th of February? Number one. Regional police investigating another jewelry store robbery at Conestoga Mall in Waterloo. There was also one there two years ago, another a year ago, and a third just four months ago. There have also been jewelry store robberies at Fairview Park Mall last month and another last November. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, the president of Sioux College wants Ontario's Auditor General to investigate the number of international student admissions at Conestoga College. Meantime, the college's board has released a statement saying President John Tibbetts' language earlier this week when he called the president of Sioux College a whore does not align with the values and principles of our institution. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 this morning. The conflict in the Middle East not only impacting Guelph, where bus shelters were transformed this week into billboards with political messaging, some federal MPs have also now been assigned police protection after their offices were plastered with similar messaging. Number four, the Ontario government has announced it is banning tolls on provincial highways, even though 
there are currently no tolls on provincially operated highways. So after a nothing announcement about an expanded Highway 7 from Kitchener to Guelph, we get an announcement that Doug Ford is banning himself from doing something he'd never do anyway. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, a lighter note. After conducting our own unscientific poll yesterday about the best chocolate bar, I remain convinced that you all somehow conspired against me. Yes, all 43 of you figured out a way to make sure the Big Turk won in a landslide. They should call that chocolate bar the Big Turd, but that's just my opinion. It's 9.13. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Are the days numbered for the president of Conestoga College? We'll talk about that coming up on City News 570. Those were the days, my friend. These are the days, my friend. Little Mary Hopkin for you by request from Mark on this all request Friday edition of the Mike Farwell Show. Remember, we like to play your requests on Friday if, of course, you have any. And we mix up the music with stuff that you have asked for. We'll give you 30 or so seconds of a tune that you would like to hear. Every Friday we do the all-request Friday portion of the program. You can send in a request anytime to mike at 570news.com or when you give us a call at any time on any issue, just say, hey, Dev, I'd like to hear this on Friday. And Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass, will be more than happy to make note of it and then play it on Friday. Our all-request portion of the program Those were the days for Mark by Mary Hopkin on the show this morning. Numbers to get in touch with us, as you know, 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. I wonder how you are feeling today about Conestoga College in Kitchener, a school that I have often referred to as the little college that could. I attended that college Uh, 30 years ago now. I began there in 1993. That's where I studied broadcasting, radio, and television. I've always been proud to say that I'm a graduate of the school. I've always been fond of the school's president. We have had a good relationship from my days there as a student. But I think we all understand that the story this week just seems to be getting worse and worse by the day, if not by the hour. It is my sincere belief that the town hall sort of event presentation that was staged by Conestoga College on Tuesday, during which the college shared information 
a good news story it put forward about its impact in the community, right? The economic impact, the number of graduates that get jobs, which is a very high, above 85% placement rate, and so on and so forth. I am confident in saying that holding that event on Tuesday of this week was a public relations maneuver in order to change the channel on the stories that have been simmering for quite some time about the number of international student admissions at colleges across this country. And Conestoga College, far and away, leads the way in that department with more than 30,000 international student admissions across its eight campuses last year alone. No other school is even close. So the effort to kind of change the channel went south because I think those who were managing the PR, if indeed that's what was happening, uh, left the leash a little too loose on the president of Conestoga College, who's always been one to shoot from the hip, to speak his mind, to boldly go where he wants to go and take that college with him. And we can argue that it's been an incredibly successful model over decades now, a number of decades. But the the language alone that came out on Tuesday when one other school president refers to you and or your school as a bad actor, I don't think it warrants the response and the derogatory language that we got from Conestoga College President John Tibbetts. He did speak with CBC yesterday, CBC Radio, and now he's kind of been lying low and the fallout continues. Not, not the least of which is the president of Sioux College now asking that Ontario's Auditor General take a look at the number of international students admitted to Conestoga College, try to figure out if there's anything untoward happening here. But this story has been picked up not just by local, even provincial media, but now national media where it appeared this morning in the Globe and Mail, which means if there was any hope of containing the story to the cozy confines here of the region of Waterloo, that is long since gone. I think it's also telling that the school's board of directors has issued a statement and In that statement, they talk about how the language does not align with the values of the institution and that the president is sorry, but we haven't heard that from President Tibbetts himself. I can only assume at this point that the countdown is on. I don't see a way that President Tibbetts, much as I have always liked the man, much as I have always admired the man, I don't see a way that he lasts a whole heck of a lot longer in his role with the board coming out with the statement it has come out with sort of speaking for president Tibbetts after he spoke very bluntly about his feelings for a fellow college president. Uh, I think the writing's on the wall here. I don't think the board has much choice in the matter. And dare I say, if I take this a step further, it won't be a whole heck of a lot longer until a building on university Avenue at Weber in Waterloo is going to undergo some sort of facelift because it currently bears the name as a campus of Conestoga College and the name on that campus is the 
president, the current president. And and I'm just thinking even six months or a year from now, when one drives by that campus and reads the name on it, hey, isn't that the guy that called another college president a you-know-what? Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. I just don't see how that name, those letters, remain on that building for a whole heck of a lot longer. That's the way I see it today, and it's... Uh, it's a really sad way for what had been a remarkable tenure to likely come to an end. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, there is a good old hockey game in Kitchener tonight. Rangers, Steelheads. We will have pregame coverage, Paul Fixter and I, starting at 6.35. All request Friday here on the program, and that request... From Frank, who's on... I don't have to tell you it's Stomp and Tom, do I? No, I don't. Frank's on the line with us this morning. Hey, Frank. Who's better than Austin Matthews? Nobody! Well done, buddy. The best goal scorer. He will go down as the best goal scorer in NHL history. He's 76 goals away from catching Matt Sundin, and he's played, uh, I think, 445 or 50 games less. Are you kidding me? It's unreal, isn't it? I mean, if you weren't watching it, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. It's going to happen. A veteran's going to break it, and then Austin Matthews is next. I don't think there's any question about it. Now he has 72 multi-goal games, more than any other Leaf in franchise history. That's crazy. Sure is. Go Leafs, go. Have a good day, Mike. Thanks, Frank. Great to hear from you. Always have some fun with the good old hockey game. All right, an update from the City News Centre, and then concerns about the living conditions for some students in our community. We talk about it next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. We've been talking quite a bit over the past couple of days about the number of international student admissions to Conestoga College and a war of words between the president of Conestoga College and the president of Sioux College that escalated rather quickly to the point that the Auditor General in Ontario might, I will emphasize might, get involved, but the president of Sioux College is asking that the AG does get involved. But all of that is kind of the high-level overview of this. When we talk about those sheer numbers, we have to remember, those numbers of international student admissions, we have to remember, of course, that there are young men and women behind those numbers. The students that come to Conestoga College, more than 30,000 last year, again, across the eight campuses, but the lion's share here in the region of Waterloo, the city of Kitchener. What about them? And at least one regional councillor is raising some concerns about them. Michael Harris is a regional councillor 
who represents Kitchener and joins us on the program. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Mike. What have you seen that has caused some concern for you? Well, look, Mike, I think you and I are both uh, proud graduates of the college, and, uh, you know, we've, we can't not but uh, thank them for the, the immense work that they've done over the years to really, you know, get uh, people like perhaps you and uh, myself ready, to, uh, ready for the workforce locally to support our local economy. So, you know, um, I want to make sure Conestoga, unfortunately, even though this is a, a difficult situation, that, that they, they get the credit that they do, especially the president, John Tibbetts, for his work uh, over the years uh, leading the college uh, for sure as an institution is world-renowned. Um, but, but I'll tell you, you know, uh, I, I live in South Kitchener, so I, I talk to a lot of folks in, the, the, in that uh, Dune community. And, you know, I remember back in the day, okay, you've got, you know, the Dune folks that uh, are upset with more cars in the driveway, et cetera. But, you know, over the last year and a half or two years, we really have seen, a, uh, obviously, an influx of, uh, you know, students uh, being crammed into houses in the lower Dune area. Um, and, and for that matter, right across the region, uh, after a tweet of mine this week, and I thought really nobody was paying attention to the things I said, obviously that, that isn't the case. Um, I had an interaction with a, a young man uh, at a community mailbox when he was carrying a chair, which I found was odd, and we got talking, and he's, he's obviously from India, coming here to study, and you know, I just asked him about his living conditions, and he said he was living in a house with four, uh, 13 others, 14 people in a you know, normal residential house, and I just thought that that... You know, that, that, that is not the, the living conditions that I think he probably thought he was coming to. Um, and I don't think it's, it's something that uh, people in and around the community would expect uh, to happen as well. Um, shame on landlords uh, like that that are preying upon these individuals, uh, 600 to 1,000 a month at, in some cases, uh, jamming them in in stairwells and in utility rooms. Um, you know, that's not, again, ent- entirely the college's problem because um, some students subject themselves to this. Um, but it, it clearly shows that we have to do better. I mean, we've got tens of thousands of, 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 of students coming into the community, and it, there's no housing for them, um, and more needs to be done. And, and I shared my, my interaction with him. Um, obviously, it's unfortunate timing with, you know, some comments made by the college president. Uh, it, it wasn't piling on in, in no terms, but, you know, I, I think uh, people, people know about this problem, and maybe I'm just one of the first ones to come out publicly and, and raise it in a more humane way after an interaction with this individual. How do we do better, Michael? I mean, if we're bringing in tens of thousands of students for which we do not have housing, can we create the housing to match or do we need to reduce the numbers of students? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, you know, I, I support the federal government's cap on, on uh, international students. Um, you know, that was, that was obviously a knee-jerk reaction, but one that had to happen uh, to, to slow uh, things down. Uh, the provincial government obviously has made some changes as well. Um, it's going to take a while to catch up. Uh, uh, you know, housing can't be built overnight. Um, you know, it takes a long time to put these things together. And I know the college has done, um, you know, housing in, uh, you know, urban, I guess, downtown Kitchener and in Waterloo. But, you know, uh, the last time they've done anything in the Dune area, um, they bought the residence probably in the early 2000s, added on in and around uh, there, thereabouts. So 20-plus years with all that land in and around the college, more should have been done to accommodate these folks, knowing that they're coming from abroad, they don't typically drive, uh, that they need to be close in close proximity to the college. Um, 
And, uh, you know, so, so that's going to take some time. We know that they're sitting on some significant surpluses. Um, some of that, that, uh, that, uh, that money should have been used to, 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 to build student residence capacity. Um, and I encourage the college to do that. And I, as I said, I, I will be writing the college president, highlighting some of those, uh, those items. And uh, I'm hopeful that the college, if they have those plans, they communicate them to uh, the public uh, sooner rather than later. You mentioned, Michael, the housing that Conestoga College has created and more that is coming online, including the conversion of an office building in downtown Kitchener, mm-hmm. by way of one example, but more could have been done. And I think that's a fair point. As a regional councillor, obviously you sit at the council table that is responsible for social housing, affordable housing in our community generally. Would you put our region's record at creating affordable housing against the colleges? Well, I'll tell you, we've got more to do ourselves. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we're out now in a, with a tender, uh, you know, on more regional land to, to increase capacity with uh, affordable housing. Obviously, we've made a, a significant investment on behalf of taxpayers uh, for, you know, the, the um, uh, housing of the homelessness, uh, you know. So, yes, I'd say there's always more to do, but I'll tell you, local taxpayers are, are footing more of that bill uh, than I believe a lot of them feel they should be. Um, again, it can't, these things can't be built overnight, uh, but uh, we've all got work to do on that, on that front. And I would say to you, you know, I just I don't recall these significant conversations, and I know staff will have them together, that, that we knew that there was going to be, you know, tens of thousands of, of new students kind of plucked upon our community. You know, we've got to support the social services for these individuals as well, and that's paid for by local taxpayers um, as well. So, you know, the whole heads and beds doesn't cover, the tax doesn't cover the social services and the investments that are required. I know GRT, the ridership is up predominantly due to a lot of our international students utilizing it. Uh, so there's more investments that have to be made there uh, to keep up. Uh, we know the strain on the food bank. Um, they came to council recently, and I know there was some talk about the the, uh, the utilization from foreign uh, or from international students on the food bank. So, you know, I think local taxpayers are stepping up and doing what they can. Uh, but you know, with these numbers, 10,000, that, that's almost, you know, impossible to accommodate overnight. You and I have both agreed already this morning that Conestoga College has been a, a rather remarkable success story, has done so much good Absolutely. for training folks like you and I for future careers and continues to do that. Are, are, do you have any concern about the school, uh, not not even just reputationally, but its ability to continue leading the way this success can it continue with the international student cap well you know i get that the provincial government uh, has a role in you know freezing tuitions and the the college looking for additional revenue streams to help support uh its growth i mean you look at the the skilled trades uh you know uh, facilities that they're they're building um you know the health uh public health you know uh, facilities i mean this takes dollars uh, uh you know to build these things I am concerned that the reputation of the college will take a hit. The quality, you know, the education was high. Um, you know, I've had, I've had professors uh, and folks close to professors email me after this uh, ordeal talking about, you know, class sizes of 50 and then five showing up uh, that, you know, the, these students are really taking advantage, frankly, of, uh, you know, the system uh, to fast-track towards permanent residency. Obviously, that's not the college's issue per se. It's the federal government role here. So it's a bit of a mess. Um, so it is. I'm, 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 
I'm worried that the college's reputation is taking a hit, that the quality of the education um, is taking a hit uh, as well. So, you know, but again, we can't take away uh, the immense impact the college. Um, you know, I, I know as an MPP, I, I awarded John Tibbetts, um, you know, a Diamond Jubilee Medal for his work, uh, you know, in this community. It'll be forever, um, we'll forever reap those rewards, but here we've got a significant issue that we've got to deal with, and, and, I, and I'm hoping that, uh, that they will. Michael, I appreciate you making time for the show today. Thanks for being here. Okay, Mike. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Michael Harris is a regional councillor representing Kitchener. It's a bit of a mess. That might be the understatement of the year so far, but the year's still young on the program. This is a hornet's nest from where I'm sitting, from the federal government to the provincial government to the Ontario college system within this province. And don't forget one of the other aspects of this when Michael makes reference to students not even always showing up to class. Could be because they're out there working, making some money because they've become a very inexpensive source of local labor as well. In some cases, I know employers will argue the only source of local labor, doing jobs that other folks in the community have not stepped forward to offer to do. What do you make of this mess? We'll use the term delicately this morning. Your thoughts always welcome on the program. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I had an interaction with a young man at a community mailbox. We got talking, and he's obviously from India, coming here to study. And, you know, I just asked him about his living conditions, and he said he was living in a house with 13 others, 14 people in a normal residential house. And I just thought that that is not the living conditions that I think he probably thought he was coming to. And I don't think it's something that people in around the community would expect to happen as well. Michael Harris, a regional councillor who represents Kitchener, joining us to talk about the living conditions for some students in our community, including one that he encountered in his neighbourhood the other day. Paul sends an email to Mike at 570news.com and hits on something that I know will be on the minds of many. If the president is asked to step down or is fired, what will be his golden handshake? Maybe put that money towards housing instead. Totally get you on that, Paul. Crossed my mind as well. I do believe that John Tibbetts is in the final year of his current contract, but it is a a salary of more than $400,000, as I understand it. So regardless, it is uh, an expensive parting of the ways should it come to that. I just don't know how the board and or the school sees its way clear following... (sighs) I don't know how to describe the language properly, I don't think. But following what we heard this week, I don't know that there is a whole lot of choice in the matter. Let's go to the phones. Yvonne, as in Fernandez, a contributor to our Friday Four Roundtable and a former counselor in Kitchener. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? Oh, you know what? I'm trying to stay calm (laughs) and be respectful and not use language that is inappropriate in this situation. Because it's something, this Conestoga College student issue is something I raised on council in 2010 when I asked for uh, a student, uh, a rental housing bylaw to happen and was not supported by council at the time, would have definitely impacted how students were living 
in the community and had uh, some oversight by fire and bylaw and inspections on houses. And we could have done something then. And I met with John Tibbetts, no interest in doing this. And, and it's, it's so unfortunate because you're right, Mike. These students are coming here and living in conditions that they don't expect to happen. Um, and and I, 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 talk, I hear about it every week. I have family members who teach. I know a lot of students there. It's so disturbing what is happening. And as much as the college has done some great work the last number of years and talked to anybody who lives in Lower Dune, and they will tell you they have not done their due diligence. The school has not. No, right. Not when it comes to the students, the international students. It's it. There are parking lots there that could have been turned into some student residence, and I know you know during the day they're probably very full. But if you start building a place for them to live, then you're going to eliminate the need for all of those parking lots within easy walking distance of both the Cambridge campus and the Dune campus. Yvonne, I appreciate. Uh, Yeah, I appreciate you weighing in on this. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to hear from you this morning. Yvonne Fernandez, who, of course, had been a counselor, and that was her area, that was her ward in the city of Kitchener, also contributes to our Friday 4 roundtable, which will be on today, of course, between 11 and noon. Yvonne, not part of it, but she shares her thoughts on what, again, I will use Michael Harris's words from a few moments ago, uh, a bit of a mess Uh, at Conestoga College, not just with the college doing some damage control over the language used, the inappropriate language used by its president in describing the president of another Ontario college, but also in the sheer number of international student admissions and the impact all of those admissions are having on local infrastructure here in the region of Waterloo. We'll take a break, come back with more. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Request Friday here on the show. That one for Colin, who says, Anytime I can hear Teenage Head, it's a good time. And so there's a little something on my mind for you, Colin. And thanks for making a request for the All Request Friday edition of the Mike Farwell Show. Quickly back to an email from Candace, who talks about the student situation at Conestoga College, Candace writing to Mike at 570news.com. I think the worst part is that the international students pay several times more intuition to be here and then find themselves living in squalor. I do not disagree, Candace. I think that this is uh, not the contract that the students thought they were entering into. But there is also that path to permanent residency, which might be the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. All right, we've got to get you an update from the City News Centre. And then we debut today a brand new feature. We had planned to introduce it this year. We even got a request, not musical, from one of you who said, you know what I think you should do is have 
local councillors on the show on a regular basis so that we can find out what's going on in our community, maybe ask them questions yourself. And so your opportunity begins today. Following this update from the City News Centre, we take a closer look at the community of North Dumfries as Mayor Sue Foxton joins us on our new feature called Council Chambers. It's next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Well, this is an idea that we had in the works before Christmas, started working on some of the finer points. One of you even emailed and said, you know what you need to do, Farwell? You need to bring on more municipal councillors so we can hear directly from our community. And we were already working on something similar. And so here, after dotting some I's, crossing some T's, and getting responses from across the community to our requests, we begin... The series called Council Chambers. It'll happen every Friday morning, 10 a.m. We'll visit with another community and a representative from it around the region. And we begin today in beautiful North Dumfries, and Mayor Sue Foxton sits across from me in studio. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You know that you're setting the bar now for this feature, right? Council Chambers rests the future of it on this segment. Well, I'm only five feet, so the bar's pretty low. (laughs) (laughs) You and I were just talking during that commercial, or that news update with Mark, about local media. And obviously, our local media has been impacted in the last week or so with those really difficult cuts at Bell Media. How, what do you feel, Mayor Foxton, about the role of local media and its position in holding people like you to account? It's essential. I mean, you know, people are relying on Facebook and Twitter and all that, but the local news, you're accountable, and the local newspapers, and they have to write the truth. And if they don't, they have to research and give the correct truth. There's no accountability anywhere else. If we lose that, it's too great a loss. And I don't know how we're going to fix it or how we make the companies ensure that it stays, but it's essential. The people have to know the truth. We base our lives on what the news tell us. We base how we feel about our society on what the news tells us. And if it's inaccurate, we're in trouble. One of the things that has been happening in our community, about a month ago, we had a group here from the province that was undertaking a review of our regional governance structure. While that was happening at the same hotel, you were part of a meeting of local mayors or a, a, a media update from local mayors talking about our current state of regional governance. Would it be fair to say that you think the status quo is the best option for us? With some changes, okay. I think. But yes, I think we have, you know, everything in our system seems to run by a 1950 model. The school boards, uh, government, everything. Well, government didn't come until 50 years ago, but we need to update to the 2024. And uh, we need to see what's more practical. For instance, snow plowing. Let's take snow plowing. So the township, all our roads are already plowed except our regional roads. 
and we have to lift up our plow blades to drive along the regional roads to get to our next road. Why don't they let us do it? It would take a quarter of the time, and it would be done by 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, it would save them money and time. It'd save us money and time. So, because we're traveling those roads anyways. So let's be practical. Let's see where we can cut costs. And you know what? Things are getting costlier and costlier every day, which is a frightening thing. I'm really concerned about what's happening with livability in, in Canada and our province and our region. You know, it, times are really, really tight, as everybody knows. Housing shortage, food expenses, it's just snowballing. And we really have to slow down and say, what are some of the things we can do to assist us? Wouldn't one level of government then just eliminate that problem so there's not two different plows? Well, the fact being is needs are different in different communities. My community can do it a lot faster than waiting for the region to deal with all their city, big cities and that to get to us. And like um, Brian Larkin years ago when he was police chief said, if he took a police officer and he had to take him from one end of the region to the other, it, uh, through the road surface and that, he said it was around 200 kilometers. So uh, the, it's too vast, in my opinion, to get the job done right. Even if you did that, you would still need large satellites to handle the auto works. Again, costly. Um, wages rights would have to, everybody's wages would have to rise to the highest level, which they're already doing now anyways. But no, I think it would, I think you would find it more expensive. The report back when the study was done, I think it was in 1998, 1999, all the municipalities got together and did a study on amalgamation. And nobody had any preconceived ideas, and we went strictly by the report, and we hired a consultant. It was great. I had the privilege of being on that committee. It was one of my first, it was my first term of politics, and I was on this committee that brought all the regional councillors together and talked, and like everybody showed up from every municipality. And then we hired the consultants, and then the reports came out. The report talked about a 36% tax increase and no representation from North Dumfries. And the overbearing expense and the bureaucracy it created, even Ken Sealing voted against it. So, no, you've got to really... One is the pipe dream that, oh, bigger's better, let's just do it. And the other is the reality of of the implications. Another thing is... Let's say you do it, and then all of a sudden, it doesn't make sense. To undo it is just disastrous. So we have to be really smart. So after that meeting at at the committee that we all got together, well, the mayors and that got together, I sent a letter to all of regional council said, we were elected in a two-tier system. Let's do our job. And you feel like you can still do that job successfully and with collaboration in a two-tier system? Yes. Yes, I do. I think the two-tier system is essential. I think uh, because the communities will always interconnect in certain spots and places like certain roads and stuff. And uh, so let's do that. You mentioned a moment ago livability, the cost of living affordability. And Louisa D'Amato had a an excellent column, I thought, in the Waterloo Region record this week, talking about what homelessness looks like in our rural communities. Now, she focused, in, in fairness, mostly on Wilmot and Woolwich. What does homelessness look like right now in North Dumfries? It looks like families taking in families. 
So, um, you know, uh, people are taking in their sons, their daughters, and, and the families that come with them. So I, I wonder if we're heading back to the generation where in a, in a family home it would house the grandparents, the parents, and the grandchildren. Maybe the way we're going. If we can't solve it through housing and building fast enough, that's maybe the way we have to do it. And there's no shame in that, no shame in having intergenerations in one household. Are there encampments in North Dumfries right now? No. Not that you're aware of? No. There's no services out in North Dumfries, so <laughs> why would you want to encamp there? You want to go where there's services. Right. We have no transit. We have, yeah, there's no amenities. Not a lot of amenities or transit. Years ago, when I first became mayor of North Dumfries, um, Ken Sealing had all the mayors come into his office, and he had huge spreadsheets, and he said, here's what the region provides for you, because he wanted to justify what the region brought for them. The first sentence he said was, oh, Sue, I'm sorry we don't provide anything for North Dumfries. And I said, that's okay, Ken, I'll let you know when I want something. But, uh, and that, that's sort of, a, and, and the region has brought in a few things, but it's sort of to my advantage, because North Dumfries is not dependent on the region which is um, advantageous, in my opinion, because I can do a little bit more than the others can. Sue Foxton is the mayor of North Dumfries. She joins us for our first installment of Council Chambers every Friday morning at 10. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Stay with us on City News 570 and Rogers TV. We are in studio this morning with Sue Foxton, who is the mayor of North Dumfries. She joins us on the debut of Council Chambers, a feature that we will have every Friday morning for you at 10, so you can get a better understanding of what's going on in your community. One of the issues recently, Mayor Foxton, in air specifically, was around the North Dumfries Community Center and whether or not you would move forward with twinning the ice surface there. It sounds like that is now the plan. What led you to this result? I always knew we were, I always was pushing for us to do this, but doing it at the right time. Today's not the time. There's no grants. I hit every level of government seeing if there's any money out there. There wasn't. Uh, So we're going ahead with the um, design and getting all our documents ready for when things open up. But to put that on the taxpayer today in this climate and this is just too much it has to be a shared it has to be a fundraising campaign we have to get our ducks in a row so we're, we're working towards that and i believe an election will come and in the next year or two and we will be ready because you know muddy flows when elections are called so there may be some federal funds that could flow to north dumfries to help in the construction of the second ice surface federal and provincial will be hitting up right we'll wait and see because i think they want to stimulate the economy again. We got the original complex when we were at, our country was at difficult times. And we got the grant, one of the largest grants from the province uh, to do this. So uh, that's well how we got the original one. Plus, our community raised great funds. We have a great community. We're so connected. You also have a community that is very passionate about hockey from the air centennials on down. So are you going to be able to meet the needs of the community for ice time until that second ice surface is constructed? We're going to do what we can to sustain our two pads uh, until uh, the time that we open the second pad. 
So we're hoping, we're keeping our fingers crossed. Everything's a balancing act, right? And and trying to proactive and reactive, and it is what it is. And we'll just uh, we'll go through the process. Do we have an estimate as to what it's going to cost to twin the NDCC? I think we were talking between ten and twelve million. Does that number make you swallow hard? In this society, I said on regional council, twelve million is a blink. <laughs> <laughs> when the last election rolled around, Mayor Fox, then you were acclaimed. What is that telling you about the level of engagement for municipal politics in the township? On one side, I considered it an honor that people believed I was the right person in the right place. On the other side, I felt like I should go out and earn this regardless. And uh, I, But I think I do. People know they can email me, they can phone me, they, they can be at my doorstep. And I will answer every single person on that day... And I will get staff involved where they need to be involved, and I will resolve the issue as best it can be. And I told my council, never lie to anybody, never promise anything. I said, do your research first. Always say you'll get back to them, and then get back to them within seven days. After you've heard the staff reports and everything, and be honest. Tell them the truth. Don't let people spin their wheels and fight an issue that's not fightable. And a lot of times people want the mayor to break the law because they think I can and I can't, and I have to explain that to them. I can't change bylaws. The law is the law, and I have to enforce it. I will listen to you, and I will look at your situation, and we will look at it objectively, but I have to be fair and unbiased, and it doesn't matter what I want or what I think. I have to follow the letter of the law. If it's one thing that I've noticed when I visit the Village of Air, it's that there is growth, and it, maybe it's because every time I go in, there's I need to visit more often because there always seems to be something new. How are you managing growth in the well, township? Actually, yeah, interesting that you say that is that um, back I spoke earlier about 1998-99 when I first came on, 97. We had decided to hire a consultant to say, how will air grow? Because the province has said air is the only community that can grow in North Dumfries. All the rest is protected, and that's fine. So we decided on what lands could grow. We still haven't reached those land quotas since 1997-98. So we're getting there, and that's and then we don't have any further growth to happen. We believe we will bring on, hopefully, the Ballantyne property and the Elliott property, and once those two are done, we're done, as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> except, except I met with Minister Graydon-Smith, and I suggested, you know, we have 50 gravel pits. Some of them sit idle with 1% or 2% aggregate on it. Why don't you let us build homes on them? And he said, that's not a bad move because if you rehabilitated it, you'd have to fill it in and then you'd have to take that fill back out to put the homes in. So we could have land ready right there. So I talked to Habitat to Humanity and now it's in Graydon Smith's court. You have been outspoken on the need, I would say, for perhaps a moratorium on new gravel pit applications moratorium, we don't have any jurisdiction to do that. But I'm pushing for change. I'm pushing for logical change. All right, because you're not going to fight aggregate and you're not going to win. But let's be logical. Let's find out how many licenses are really out there. Let's really find our true need. And then let's base it on that. Because I think, well, as an aggregate, let's say you're in the business. 
and you want to scoop up as much land as you can. So you do, but you don't want to ag- take the aggregate out because you'll flood the market. You'll, you'll cheapen your value. So it's, a, it's a, sort of a game for them. They lose part of their profit if they take all the aggregate out that they can. So they don't. And, and Wilmot's a prime example where the new pit the fought, that they were fighting, seven licenses surrounded that pit. None of them are operational. They're just sitting there. So if they need gravel so bad, why aren't they operating all the pits they have? Why don't they finish off the pits that are open? Because they have to rehabilitate them. That costs us money. It's all business for them, but it's community for us. Mayor Sue Foxton, the mayor of North Dumfries Township, joining us for our first installment of Council Chambers here on the show. Thank you very much for stopping by today. I look forward to the next conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and such a privilege to be the first. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, the first one is under our belts, Council Chambers, the segment that you will hear every Friday morning at 10 o'clock as we do a deeper dive into the goings-on in various communities around this region. We borrowed the idea from our talk station down east, and they call the segment Counselor on the Hot Seat. I don't know. I didn't love the idea of the hot seat. Maybe Todd, who does the show down there, is a way better host or a way more combative host than I am here. Todd does great work. But for me, I just thought, ah, you know what? Instead of making it feel like it's somebody being grilled, getting the third degree, we'll make it council chambers. That's what we came up with for a name of it anyway. And you are always welcome to participate since we'll do it every single week. We'll let you know who's coming up. If you want to email a question in advance or have a question answered that day, you can do so. And I'll let you know right now that Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe will join us on council chambers next Friday morning at 10. All right, off to the City News Center we go for an update. And then speaking of regular features, every Friday morning at 10.30, a little bit of humor with our friend Gary Chalk. We talk living retired next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. I can't stop this feeling. Deep inside of me Girl, you just don't realize What you do to me When you hold me In your arms so tight You let me know Everything's alright Oh, but the feeling of happiness, the feeling of joy, the feeling you get when you have a little laugh. That's why Gary Chalk joins us every Friday morning at this time. Gary writes the humor column, Living Retired, and we've brought it from the pages of your computer screen online to our show here each and every Friday morning. Mr. Chalk, good morning, sir. Mr. Fartwell, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. How about yourself? Well, we're surviving. A little bit of snow yesterday and some sunshine hopefully today. You know what? It wasn't all that bad, right? I felt it was so strange. Like, I I felt the pending doom of the (laughs) 10 centimeters. We got about four to five here in Waterloo Region. But uh, you know what? It was light. It was fluffy. I think we survived. 
Yes. Snowmageddon didn't arrive after all. It did not. But you know, <laughs> that just makes me think. I actually heard a neighbor uh, take out the snowblower yesterday, and I thought, well, I guess it hasn't had a whole lot of work, has it? So you might as well get some use out of it while you can. There are all sorts of things. I think we're just short of the snow shovel that is autonomous, right? We've got an AI-powered snow shovel or something that does it for you. I think if there is a job that we didn't know needed doing, there could be a gadget created or invented for it. Just as long as they make it Bluetooth enabled. Absolutely. And Why? I don't know what that means. But, you know, it's it's a feature that has to be on everything that we purchase this, these days. Bluetooth enabled. I used to think blue teeth were bad things. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> that definitely calls for a call to the dentist. Well, you know, it's interesting, Mike. Uh, I was thinking about the inventions and what I would call head scratchers. You know, like, well, you know, what purpose is this? About a week ago, Jan and I were having dinner one night, and I opened a bottle of wine. And this is the ones that have the uh, the uh, cork uh, in it and the wine opener. That's uh, fancy I, wine, by the way, Gary. Oh, if it's got a cork in it, you fancy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just one that's been left over. We needed some vinegar. <laughs> but what happened, you know, you, you know, when you go to a restaurant... You know, the uh, the fellow comes with the towel, and, and they open it with this, this little contraption with they do with one hand. Well, at home, what, what we have or had was one of those things that, uh, well, first of all, I had to sit in a chair and hold the wine bottle between my legs and then insert this screw thing, and then you twisted the top, and then there are these two arms that kept coming out, and you sort of bring them up and down, and out comes the, the cork. Well, nowadays... What I have is a battery-powered wine cork remover, and it's even got a light on it. A light on so you can open the wine in the dark, Gary, you romantic you. Well, and I also think what it does is when we lose our power, we have candles, flashlights, and I also have this this wine opener with a light, and we put them (laughs) all in the shoebox, so we've got lots of light to be able to see. Perfect. It's absolutely perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I tell you. But, you know, inventions in my mind pair, you know, back in the 1400s and the 1500s to today. You know, a couple of years ago, we were in uh, in France, and we stopped in a place called Amboise, and that is where the uh, final home, and it's now a museum, of Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, this man had hundreds, and not, if not inventions, but the preliminary drawings and things. You know, he, he actually designed a flying machine, a helicopter, a fighting vehicle for wars, the self-propelled cart, a submarine. It was amazing. And that was back in the mid to late 1400s in Europe. So then I advanced that to, say, the 1980s in North America. And I guess the comparable would be Ron Popeil. You know, like he had all the inventions. You know, the pocket fisherman. <laughs> the, yes, that one? I do now that you mention it. Yes, <laughs> yes. Never try hair in a can. I could use that now. You and me both. Yep. Yep. The other one was the Chopomatic, which he had for vegetables. I've always wanted to be one of those fellows who could be at the, the, the Canadian National Exhibition in the food building and have a microphone strapped around like a harmonica around my, my neck, and I could slice all these vegetables up and then basically slice my fingers as well. <laughs> you know, Gary, you've got a background in radio as well, and I've often thought that late-night infomercials <laughs> yes. are the places that old radio hosts go to die. 
I mean, it's got to be happening for us at some point. At some point. I've already got my freeze down. I'm going to copy Ron. I'm going to put his chicken in a fryer, and I'm going to say, set it and forget it. And instantly, the in-studio audience will look at each other in awe that you can actually put a piece of raw chicken in an oven and press a button and set it and forget it, and they'll instantly stand up and start television clapping, which is clapping your hands three or four times faster than you would normally do. <laughs> but right? hang on. If you actually create the set it and forget it chicken fryer, <laughs> dare I say, sir, you will no longer need these highly paid Friday morning radio appearances. Uh, that's true. Maybe <laughs> I'll hold back on the uh, planning ahead of that. But you know what? He also had not only the chopomatic and uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, you segue. He had the dialomatic, and I can still remember the slogan. It was, you can slice a tomato so thin it only has one side. <laughs> the dialomatic. So you could dial the width of what it was that you were yeah. slicing. Yeah. Yeah. So by, by miracle, you could just cut this tomato so it only had one side. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, when you mentioned the Chopomatic, one of the first things I thought of when you mentioned we'll talk about these interesting inventions today is the Slap Chop. Like, do you remember? And I I remember that from late night infomercials too. And honestly, I just think any invention that allows me to essentially beat my food before I eat it. Like, I can take out my frustrations, because I'm not the best cook, of course, right? So, I'm so frustrated with this. I'm just going to keep banging and banging on the slap chop. Well, you know, when I cook, what I like to do when I set the dinner table, I have all your utensils plus a hammer. And that's what you can do to flatten that veal out even thinner. (laughs) When you were a kid, did you have an Etch-A-Sketch? Absolutely. Could you do anything with it? No, I couldn't. Absolutely not. My sister got pretty good, but me, no. I, 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 I can't believe it. I would twist the knobs, and one sort of made a, a horizontal line of some graphite, and then the other one made a vertical line, but <laughs> after a while it looked like nothing. I'd shake it and start over again. <laughs> At least you had the option. <laughs> Gary Chalk joins us every Friday morning, 1030, to bring his living retired column to the radio. You can find it online at livingretired.press. We continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on the road again. Hey, listen to that. It's Snoop Dogg's best friend. Willie Nelson and On the Road Again by request for Mary on this All Request Friday here on the Mike Farwell Show. Also on Fridays at 10.30, Gary Chalk, the writer behind the humor column Living Retired, joins us to... Bring the column to the airwaves. You can find it for yourself at livingretired.press. I would humbly submit to you that it's very much worth signing up for because it's good chuckle you get in your inbox every Monday morning. Gary, we've been talking about some of those wacky inventions we've seen in our lifetime. And you were mentioning just before the break about the Etch-A-Sketch, which, you know, introduced, introduced us young to the whole idea of these things because it would frustrate the heck out of us as kids. And I'm thinking, too, about all of the exercise equipment. Like, God bless the late, great Suzanne Summers. But did we need a thigh master? I mean, I don't know. A thigh student might have done, but... 
<laughs> well, the thing I find is is the sort of similar the treadmill and the thigh mat. You're supposed to put it under your bed. Well, the trouble is, out of view, out of sight, you forget about well, it. For sure, you do. For and sure, at my you age, do. when I get down to drag it out, well, I can't get back up. <laughs> so, so what? What was the thinking? You know, what what light bulb went on? And the guy said, "Eureka, Gary, if you if you get down and <laughs> successfully get back up, you've done your workout at your age. That's done. That's done. Hey, I got one for you, Mike. Okay. I remember a few weeks ago you were talking about the leftover or the, or your lunch in the uh, in the City News 570 cafeteria in the refrigerator. Yeah. They actually now have mold-covered sandwich bags. So what it is, it's a, it's a sandwich bag that's got mold printed on it. So what you do is you put your sandwich in, you put it in the fridge, in the communal fridge. Nobody is going to eat it because they think it's already moldy. <laughs> you know what, actually... <laughs> That's not bad, Gary. That's not bad. We had a famous sandwich caper here at the radio station some time ago where one colleague ate the sandwich of another, not knowing that he'd eaten the wrong one. And when he took it out, he was really impressed. He thought his wife made him a really nice sandwich that day. And turns out it was somebody else's sandwich. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's, 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 of course, all the tools that men have. You know, like, uh, I, I worked on a deck once, cedar deck, and my friend who is, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing. He's got ten fingers still. He brought over his pneumatic nail gun. And this thing attaches to this massive compressor that's got enough thrust to put a, a, a rocket up in the air. And you lay all your cedar deck boards down, and then you boom, 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 boom. And it just hammers these nails in instantly. Until somebody like me gets it. And I'm, you know, walking into the emergency department with a cedar plank out of my hand. <laughs> it is amazing how much work the tools do for us now, right? <laughs> it used to be said that the, you know, the carpenter is only as good as his tools. But now the carpenter is only as good as the tools can help him be. Exactly. Yes. You know, what? the number one head scratching invention to me is the folding lawn chair. And I'm talking about the type that it comes in its own bag. Oh, gosh. And it's got four legs, and you compress it all into this bag. And so you carry it to your neighbor's house when you go for a barbecue. And when you, you sort of get it out of the... First of all, you fumble with the with the, uh, the the rope trying to open up the bag. You pull the thing out, and eventually the chair pops open. But now you got to sit in it. And for some reason, it doesn't match what my body type is. So what I do is I sort of stand. I back up to the chair... And I start flailing my arms, trying to find the, the handles in the chair. And then I slowly move back till I collapse in the chair. Now, I'm in the chair. That's the good news. The bad news, after you've been sitting a while with your forehead about level to your knobby knees, your entire body sort of takes on the shape of a crumpled bag of Doritos. <laughs> You've got to get up and go to the bathroom. You don't just get out of these folding lawn chairs. You have to extricate yourself. It's impossible. You know, you start, what I do is I start rocking back and forth, and I get my arms there, and I grasp the two armrests, and then I sort of take a deep breath, and I go one, two, three, try to stand up. Of course, it doesn't, the chair doesn't rock enough, so now it becomes sort of, well, probably a best four out of seven so I can eventually get out of this chair. Now what the problem is, I'm out of the chair, I'm on my feet, but the chair is attached to my rear end. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen you before, Gary. I've seen you at parties. 
<laughs> that one, I, I just never, never quite figure it out. What on earth were they thinking? Well, the best part about it is after you go through all of that and you successfully use your own momentum to get up <laughs> despite the chair still being stuck to your derriere, eventually you've got to fold it back up and put it back into that little bag. That's right. It doesn't work doesn't. It's, it, it's, it does not work. Women stand around at the party and just laugh at me. <laughs> That's what they do. You know, the other, another, here's an invention that uh, whoever invented the little straw that's supposed to go in the hole of your kid's juice box. Oh, my goodness. Like, how, you can't line that thing up. And if you do, it squirts juice out of everywhere. It does. It's a very sensitive technique. If you're holding that juice box too tightly, you're going to get squirted in the eye. Yep. That's right. Speaking of your kids, silly putty. What 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 constructive use can you make out of silly putty? Oh my goodness, I Nothing. loved silly putty though, Gary. I would go through the comics and press the silly putty onto the comics page so I could have a comic on my silly putty because <laughs> it was like a transferable, uh, you know. Uh, we would put on your shirt like some silk screening. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And another one, now this isn't an invention, this is an application, you know, that somebody has to uh, have the great idea to fill a need, so somebody came up with, let's have best before dates on our food. Oh, gosh. That's one thing. But I ask you, if you have a box of Melba toast, go look at it, and it will have a best before date for your dried bread. You buy it already past due, and they give you a best before date for your crunchy piece of Melba toast. You are opening a whole can of worms with me on best before dates, Gary. I'll tell you that. It's 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 a it's an industry. It is a, it absolutely is an industry and it's always a chance to get a chuckle with you on Friday mornings. Uh thank you as always for being here and sharing some laughs with us. Our pleasure. Have a good one. Go Rangers. Thanks, Gary. Gary Chalk joining us. He is the columnist behind the humor column Living Retired. You can Check it out for yourself and sign up for his weekly email at livingretired.press. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. I have asked this question before. I will ask it again right now. Is this the greatest opening track on any album ever? Could be. I'd put it in contention. Where the streets have no name, the Joshua Tree. You too, of course, by request by two very intelligent people on the show this morning. So intelligent are they? Well, let's just call them Einstein and Hawking. Devin Robertson completely forgot to get your name, and that's okay. It's an all-request Friday. Just make your request when you call in or by email to mike at 570news.com. The opening track from the Joshua Tree album, Where the Streets Have No Name, might be might be the very best opening track to any album ever. If you want to have a debate about that, we can between 12 and 1 with your 12 o'clock talkback hour. Right now, it's off to the City News Center for an update. And then our Friday 4 roundtable for another week. Stay with us. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers T.
much to discuss today. So much to discuss. And here to help us through the discussions, Philip Mills, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity Waterloo Region. Good morning, Phil. Morning, Mike. Marjorie Knight is with us as well, wearing one of my favorite toques. Rebels have more fun. Marjorie is the co-founder of Rhythm and Blues Cambridge and also an outreach worker with the House of Friendship. Uh, Good morning, Marjorie. Morning, Mike. And Phil Molto is back from his morning skate at City Hall in downtown Kitchener and now online with us on the Friday Forum. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Mike. Mr. Mills, let me begin with you on this one. I I deliberately left the question the way that I did about the burden that communities are facing when there are so many students being admitted to colleges. That's one part of the story. But as we know, there has been an escalating war of words between the president of our college in Kitchener, Conestoga, and Sioux College in Sault Ste. Marie, you can take this in whatever direction you want, Phil, but the state of post-secondary, particularly colleges in Ontario right now, our guest earlier today called it a, quote, bit of a mess. I think that's an understatement. I, I would agree. There's a, that's some very uh, couched language Indeed. Uh, to call it a Indeed. bit of a mess. I, when it comes to this particular thing, I think you can parse the two out. Like There is some sort of part where you expect people in that particular space to be able to talk to each other like professionals like this is not the type of thing like if my kids were yelling at each other like that i would be like hey guys you can't be like that so i think we can expect more from leaders of public institutions like this these are big president these are presidents of big organizations that are meaningful and important to our community and i think we have to consider like the brand reputational sort of stuff it does when the folks out you know speaking on their behalf are talking that way on as it comes to the actual housing, I can appreciate the tension there. Like, this is one of those things that anybody asks, what's going on with housing? Why is it the way that it is? There are hundreds of reasons. And it's a sort of confluence of so many complicated things at once. I think what we don't often, there's not necessarily to me a ton of benefit in trying to figure out exactly who is at fault in for how many different ways. So much as saying, okay, we are where we are. How do we get out of this? What does getting out of this mean? And the fact that whether it was right, appropriate, fair, whatever the question you want to ask around the number of students that came in and are coming in, the reality is that is the case in the space we're in now. And I think it does behoove the college and other folks to be a part of finding reasonable solutions, knowing that we are in a crisis. There are thousands of people who are talking about, you know, the opportunities for housing are not affordable. So, you know, this is good due diligence to care for the students, good due diligence to care for the folks that are kind of brought here for them, as well as us as a community. This is a community actor. Conestoga College is a part of our community. They will often talk about the benefit to our community. And if they want to be seen as a good community actor, they want to be a part of our community, then I think it's fair to say, okay, how are you helping? And so I don't think that any of those questions are unfair, even if they might be absolutely true that it wasn't necessarily their fault or they were acting within the confines of what was appropriate or what the government kind of gave them to do. Sure. All of that's true. And you should be a part of the solution today as well. I think it's a great way to look at it. And you make an excellent point. John Tibbetts raised it during his sort of town hall event earlier this week. The rules exist that allow this sort of thing to happen. Point at the feds if you want a cap on the number of international students, which we're now getting. And I think I then think it comes down to a choice for the individual colleges, which Conestoga has made and others have not made to the same degree. Marjorie, I'll swing it over to you for thoughts on this. Man, 
if this is the way that the people who are in charge are going to um, approach uh, discord or disagreements or it, it's kind of disturbing. It's kind of very disturbing because it's not just that you are the head of this organization, but you have a heck of a lot of students down there who watch how you behave. And the kind of be that kind of behavior belongs nowhere, not on the play field, not in the boardrooms, and definitely not in the media. Give their heads a shake. You know, I, I really found it interesting. Um, a lot of the time, who is busy throwing stones at this housing thing? Because this housing thing is huge, as Philip was saying. It's huge. It's massive. It has so many facets to it. And don't forget that the institutions themselves need the international students. That's what funds them. This is what brings in their money. This is what funds what they want to do, pay their people, especially admin, let me say. But so, you know, it, it's very near and dear to them, I am sure. Bottom line is that there are some big problems with housing. There's always going to be crowded student housing. I don't care how much or how little you charge for tuition and those kinds of things. Students tend to band together to live together so that they have more spending money on the outside. That's always going to happen. But the situation we're in now is really bad. How do we deal with it? And that's what we need to look at. And again, we need the university, we need the municipal, we need the provincial, we need the federal, everybody needs to go. But this kind of behavior has no place anywhere at all. And I'm ashamed for them that they would behave like this, the both of them. It's a terrible example to set. Awful. Really bad. It certainly and I will step off my pedestal. <laughs> it certainly doesn't seem to be moving towards those solutions that both you and Philip Mills have already asked that we start moving towards. Phil Molto, thoughts? Uh, in, our, in our area, you look at Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph. Historically, there's always been a student base, but what is the responsibility of the post-secondary educations of all sizes for housing? I remember when our, our middle child went up to uh, UW and wanted to live on residence. I guess my cooking was getting bad, but you're allowed first year and that's it. So the university looked at us and says, we have a responsibility for you in your first year to get set up for housing. After that, it's up to you. And you look at other cities, how have they handled it? And you also look at it from, say, employers. Like, remember when Suncorp fired up way back in the 80s? They said, you can come work here and we'll find you a place to live. We'll build the trailers, whatever. So I don't know if post-secondary should get into supplying housing per se. Like, should they be a landlord? But they should make, should they make the arrangements to make sure that they're adequately housed as well? There's, you remember uh, Waterloo years ago, my wife and I just drove up there two days ago. All, all the houses that were converted, I mean, you could put more students in, a, in those old you know, 1930s, 40s, 50s homes. Now, look, when you drive up there, there's massive housing developments dedicated just to students who are staying for one, two, three, four, whatever, how many years. So is the responsibility for on-site housing? Should post-secondary get into the housing market or come up with a responsibility with developers and municipalities to ensure that people coming to the schools do, in fact, have adequate housing? And uh, I'm, a, I'm originally a Guelph kid, and I remember uh, the changes the University of Guelph grew. I grew up on York Road in, in the St. Patrick's Ward. 
and more and more you'd see students at the bus stop. So as the universities grow, there has to be housing, but it has to be a partnership. But I don't know if post-secondary should get into the housing market and become landlords or just work with the municipality and, and companies to ensure that there is safe, adequate housing. Because remember, some of the places students lived back in the 80s, it was pretty, some of those basement apartments were pretty scary. And I'm glad that's cleaned up. And maybe that should be the role model for everybody to follow. Yeah, it sounds like we've got a symptom of a much larger problem here, which we're touching on. Mr. Mills. Well, it, you're kind of, you touched on it again, like, Phil, like this idea that it might not be their responsibility. And maybe I think, you know, education, sticking to education makes good sense. But there's also, we have to be careful, this is an abdication of some sort of responsibility and involvement. Like they have to be involved. And so what is reasonable involvement? What is taking part? What is, you know, being understanding that, there is some sort of a responsibility I think a university and education has to the people that they're bringing into their space. There are expectations of supports and there needs to be reasonable capacity. So I think the university or the colleges need to be involved in this. And to be frank, like none of this would be like, there's a large issue here, but this is made so much worse by just not being reasonable in public. Like there are some just, don't say ridiculous things in front of a microphone and it won't be as bad. Like there's some of this is just let's not be unreasonable. And like I get people being frustrated and I can appreciate it. If you have done the work that, you know, John has done to build Conestoga College to have people attacking that, tearing down, pushing against that. Like I get why that pushes some buttons, maybe not in front of a microphone. Like there's some opportunity here like because it's more than just john's legacy or john's sort of sense of what this is this is like the view of that college if this persists like i think the images around this can really start to cause some issues for future graduates like if this is a thing that we're saying hey this is not a good force in the community hey this isn't helping the community that's going to hurt future grads who are coming out from a university or an institution that we don't feel is now causing the community benefit it once did so i think this is all wrapped up into the actual kind of mission achievement of Conestoga. Like they need to be a good community actor because that is part of the education promise they're making. If the yeah, I- it's all ego. It's so ridiculous. Just that ego thing. I mean, I know that Conestoga is, is building more buildings and trying to do their thing to get there and that their reputation should be put at stake for something as stupid as egos. It's a problem, man. Yeah, if the idea was to get the issue on the front burner... It's certainly there. I'm not sure we're all talking about the right issue, though, because we have ego and we have an appropriate language attached to this issue as well. All right. Our Friday Four Roundtable continues. A couple of fills and a Marjorie with us on the Mike Farwell Show this morning. City News 570 and Rogers TV. We've got Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto, Philip Mills with us around the Friday for virtual table this morning. Let's talk about safety on our roads and a ghost ride, a memorial bicycle ride in memory of a 66-year-old man who was struck by the driver of a vehicle while riding his bike on Victoria Street in Kitchener is planned for this weekend. Marjorie, I'll start with you on this. Are our roads in this region safe enough for all users? I don't think so. I think that um, we are, I think we've seen an increase in um, events where pedestrians and cyclists are getting hit. I think the way we look at it 
um, is a little skewed. I am thinking that people automatically seem to think that cyclists are at fault um, when there is a collision. And I just think that people have lost um, that, that little thing where you are considerate about everybody who is out there on the road. People have gotten very callous and very selfish in the way they use the roads. I mean, I was crossing um, Victoria Street North at a pedestrian crossing and I actually got hit by a car. And um, I mean, the whole, all the traffic stopped. I wasn't really hurt, um, but it was just so ridiculous. I was crossing at the crosswalk that had the walk sign on and the guy wanted to turn right and he wasn't waiting for me to cross the road. He was trying to see as, you know, as soon as he could turn. Well, he misjudged that and he hit me. Um, I've had both my daughters hit by cars crossing the road. Um, there are certain roads where everybody's riding the bicycles on the sidewalk. And I don't quarrel with them for riding the bicycle on the sidewalk because I wouldn't want to be riding it in the street either. People pass so close by cyclists on the road that I'm surprised that the wind that they generate going by them doesn't knock them over. I mean, it's that close. I mean, where has where has your consideration of other people gone? Because it's gone out there. People are taking no care with everybody else on the road. And, you know, in a word, are we safe on our roads right now as pedestrians and cyclists? No. You know, I keep coming back to that same thing with so many more road users, it, whether they're in vehicles or otherwise. I, I don't think we're really adapting to that reality. It's a really good point, Marjorie, and not lost on us, of course, another pedestrian collision this morning struck by the driver of a vehicle. Phil Molto, over to you. Wow. Uh it's, in, it's interesting. Uh, you said that we're all users in your question. And I think that's so appropriate because we're, you know, the same person who's a pedestrian may also be a cyclist, may also drive a truck for a living. But depending on what person, way the person sees you at that moment, you're a pedestrian. No, you're the cyclist. You're the angry cyclist. You're the happy cyclist, the angry trucker, the nice trucker. But so much of it, when, when you go on for, try, for cycling or, or as a pedestrian through this region, is the inconsistencies at roundabouts, at traffic lights? Is there a bike lane signal light or is, there, is it activated? Do I go roundabout? Do I have to go up the street to cross at the pedestrian site? What, like, there's such an inconsistency of what everybody is wearing, what the other person's doing. Even coming in, uh, you know, you come down Fisher Hallman, you go through Williamsburg, every roundabout seems to be different. They've narrowed it to one lane, it's two lanes. So drivers, pedestrians, cyclists, everybody's trying to change their driving habits for what's coming up at the next intersection or the next road. If it's a regional, if it's a city road, they're all they're all different. So there's so much more visually, even without the distractions of, of you know, what's on your radio or what's in your dash or your GPS or your phone, just driving nowadays, there's just so much more information coming at you at a roundabout. There's more signs, there's more lights. There's just so much more to think about. And so people tend to, tend to lash out at somebody else. You know, the pickup trucks, the trucks are bigger. No, it's just that the trucks have so much more to see around. Before you drove down one lane, you turned right, you went. Now you've got a pedestrian light, a, a bicycle lane, a bicycle light. There's just so, so many more things to go wrong. And because there's such an inconsistency in what's happening at every intersection, you don't know if the bike lanes, if the bikes get to go in front of you on the green line or if they're supposed to stay beside you. Where, where do they cross? It's every intersection is treated differently by all all users. And I think that's appropriate. You said all users because I think everybody finds it visually 
a challenge to negotiate through this community, regardless of which form of transportation you're using. I love the way you described all that. And I'm going to be the first to tell you when I'm old enough to not need a car anymore, I got to get to work. I got to get around. I'm looking forward to not driving because it's getting tougher and tougher out there and I'm not getting any younger. Philip Mills. Sometimes I feel like I'm a thousand years old. Um, (laughs) And this kind of conversation at times makes me feel like that. Because to me, in the end, like, why is everybody in such a hurry? Like, in some fashion, like an old man yelling at clouds, being like, why is everybody in such a hurry? Nobody was so stressed back in the day. Like, we don't have to be like this. For whatever reason, we've chosen this as a community, as a culture, as a society that, you know, good for you, you're busy. Why? Why is it good for you that you're such a busy person, constantly running here, there, and everywhere with no time? Like, everything about that sounds awful. And for whatever reason, we are so busy. And I think in the end, this seems to come down to just some sort of, well, I can't wait. Like, yeah, you're behind a cyclist. You're going to have to wait 12 seconds to go around them. You make it up at the next stoplight. Or maybe you don't make it up. You're 12 seconds later. But in the end, there's just this, I can't wait. you be right behind the previous car. i got to get around the cyclist because I have to go so fast because you're like, just this grind of, you know, pressure and speed is what it seems to be to me. Because I think in the end, like, nobody is purposefully inconsiderate. Like, I don't think we've got this rash of people in the community who are out here, like, hunting cyclists trying to cause harm to them. Or, you know, that cyclists are all a bunch of jerks who are looking to try and, you know, cause harm to cars or destroy our way of life. Like, all of the stuff that, in the end, you, people are trying to get where they're trying to go. And for some reason, I just think that we get into a car, we get so rushed everything is so fast we're so time focused that you just can't be considerate and we don't act considerate when such a we just always speeding from here there and everywhere and i think that drives so much of this because like marjorie told her story there's no reason she should have been in danger at a crosswalk that person could have waited the eight more seconds but they had to go had to get wherever they were going and like that is just there's something broken in us as a community that we can't just be like you know what I can wait eight seconds and make sure I didn't kill anybody. But we just, we can't. We have to just, that speed to me, that rushedness, this is just a symptom of, in my mind, uh, the way that our community and kind of world has changed over the years. If you're a 1,000, I'm 10,000. I love the way you put that, too. Philip Mills, Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto with us on the Friday Four Roundtable this morning. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Let's get you to the City News Centre for an update and then continue the conversation with our Friday Four Roundtable talking about that expanded and upgraded Frederick Street Bridge in Kitchener and ride-sharing being legislated into poverty. Those conversations still to come with Phil Molto, Philip Mills and Marjorie Knight on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. It is an all-request Friday after all, and Nathan wanted to hear a little pump up the volume. You know, you can do that on talk radio, too. And then it just sounds like we're shouting all the time. Perfectly okay. Turn it right up to 11. Our Friday for Roundtable this morning, Phil Molto, Philip Mills, and Marjorie Knight with us. I'm kind of glad, Phil Molto, that this next topic begins with you, because 
You spent about three decades working in local media, and the discussion we're about to have is about the announcement this week that purports to be a part of future expansion plans for Highway 7. I say purports because I don't believe it unless I see a pink elephant flying outside my window, which I do not. But nonetheless, uh, there will be an upgraded Frederick Street Bridge in Kitchener. Does this mean we're getting an expanded Highway 7, Mr. Molto? I just don't know anymore. <laughs> I just have no idea. <laughs> um, let's, go, let's go way back. I mean, this is, this is an idea that goes back to a, a previous era of urban development and urban sprawl. Expand your cities, more subdivisions, more highways. So, you know, new 24. Let's move. But that's an old way of thinking. Uh, before I got into broadcasting, I was in the landscaping business. I mean, we sawed you know, subdivisions every day. We'd put down three tractor trail loads of sod. It was amazing, the growth. But that was then, and this is now. The world is changing. And I think when they start looking at stuff like Highway 7 and a fourth, all these other highways, it's a 1960s answer in, in 2024, and it's not applicable anymore. We need to really rethink, you know, destroying farmland, urban sprawl, hold the line. Let's build. We were told when we put in the LRT, we're going to build up, not out. Yet we still you know, drive out through the country to see those little blue cylinders in the car in the cornfields because that's they're doing water sampling for future development. So let, let's let's go with 2024 and 2025 answers, not 1971 answers, not the world that I grew up in, but the world we live in today. So let's think smarter. I think Highway 7 is a very old, antiquated idea. Let's fix the old Highway 7, put in, you know, put in a truck lane, no left turns, put in some big roundabouts. Everybody, we need two lanes for the trucks and the people to get back forth to Guelph reasonably. An entire new highway system with new bridges, spending billions. It's a, again, it's a 1971 answer that doesn't apply in 2024. Let's, let's use modern thinking today. Don't forget the seven interchanges between Kitchener and Guelph. Couldn't even imagine. Uh, Philip Mills. So I, I count me as skeptical. I think is the only way to kind of look at this. And I think anybody who's not like it's history here has not been kind. I, in some respects, I kind of see myself in some of this, like for years, anybody who knows me has said like, Hey, I'm going to get it in shape. And I genuinely mean it. I like every new year's I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym. And then I don't because in the heart of hearts, I kind of hate the gym. And I think I'm going to get myself in shape. I'm going to be the healthy person that I like purport myself to be, but it never happens. It just, eat. Being like, I'm going to do this right after I eat a bit more pizza. And so part of me feels like this is one of those things where I genuinely think the people involved honestly want to try and make something work. They want to put this. I don't think it's been platitudes and, you know, bad intentions trying to make Highway 7 work. But also, much like me, it has never happened. Like, this has been talked about forever. It's never occurred. I'm still, you know, need to lose some weight. So, like, I just did. This is a believe it when you see it sort of thing. And I think anything short of actually seeing construction seeing things happen everybody has a right to be skeptical about this it's an interesting week for announcements from the provincial government because i look at this one as a big nothing burger other than kitchener getting that upgraded bridge on frederick street and then it was followed by yesterday's bizarre i'm going to ban tolls on provincial highways well that's cool because there aren't any tolls on provincial highways the 407's privately owned anyway um marjorie what do you think that is so good. Ban the tolls, yes. Well, you know, Mr. Ford makes a habit of making grandiose announcements. And they're going to spend this much money and we're going to do this much work. And it never happens. Um, it just sounds good. It generates, you know, good feelings, popularity by everybody. Everybody goes, yeah, getting things done. But 
it's just a sham. It's never happening. I would be shocked. I would join Phil in the gym if that happened. Let me <laughs> <tell> you. <laughs> I'm with you on that. It's never happening. Nope. Maybe, and maybe we get a bridge out of it, but maybe, because there's money involved. And until the money actually gets to where it's supposed to go, I'm not a big fan of that either. Go ahead, Phil. Color me just as skeptical as everybody else. Yeah, and I just look at it like different different political parties, different municipal governments have come in and gone, made similar promises. Again, going back to 1972, right after the hockey su- the summit series was over and we beat the Russians, we should have said, okay, now let's focus on Highway 7. Let's widen it, fix it back in the 1970s. At least would have had more Stanley Cups. We'd have a happier highway. And we'd be talking about, you know, the Leaf Dynasty today instead of a Highway 7, which still doesn't work. It actually does go back as far as the 1980s. This was first talked about. It's absolutely wild to me that here we are 40 years later almost and we're still nowhere. The expansion. I do like the idea of connecting this to the Maple Leafs and the idea that they've got a lot of people making promises about success that just never seem to come through. I don't know. Kinda... You notice that too, <laughs> Okay, eh? hang on a second. Now, did the three of you conspire? Like, <laughs> yesterday I got uh, snookered on the chocolate bar story, and today now everybody's picking on my Maple Leafs. All right, all right. Our <laughs> Maple Leafs have given us amusement for many, many years. Much like the alleged expanded Highway 7. Marjorie Knight, Phil Molto, Philip Mills with us on the Friday Four Roundtable this morning. We'll take a break. Come back about those gig workers, Uber and Lyft drivers, other rideshare drivers. Have they been legislated into poverty? We'll talk about it on the Mike Farwell Show with the Friday Four Roundtable on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Joining us on the roundtable this morning, Philip Mills, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Waterloo Region. Marjorie Knight, a family outreach worker with the House of Friendship and the co-founder of Rhythm and Blues Cambridge. And Phil Molto, a former Ward 9 candidate in the city of Kitchener, also spent about three decades working at good old CKCO TV. I can call it that because that's what it was called when you worked there, Phil. Uh, Philip Mills, I'll begin with you on this uh, next and final subject we'll uh, throw around the table this morning, and that is rideshare drivers. They staged a strike on Valentine's Day to draw attention to the fact that they say they are working in conditions described as legislated poverty. The drivers say they're making about $6.30 an hour. The rideshare operators say, no, no, they're making $33 plus per hour. What do you make of this situation, Phil? I, I suppose in the end, like, there's no surprise here for me. Like, hey, corporate greed did something bad. This doesn't seem like a particularly complicated thing. This was always, everything about these sort of projects have always rubbed me the wrong way when it comes to some of this gig economy stuff. Because I do think that it eventually does create a predatory space where you're kind of saying, hey, you don't really work for us, so like we'll offer this amount of money, and if you want to take it, that's your free choice, which is a great way to then like you have. I don't trust the intentions of the person, you know, the giant corporation saying, "Hey, if you want to work for us, would you work for this amount?" Look at all the money you could make, yeah, and all the money you don't make, like the times that you're not working, the time that you're sitting there, and I just part of this has always made me, you know, fearful for people, but I think it really speaks to, in some respects, I don't think people have a lot of good options. 
Like this is more of a function of it feels predatory because I think you're saying to somebody, hey, I don't have a lot of other good options. I don't really, you know, have what I need and I can't make what I need working my regular full time job. So I'll go do another job on the side where I also don't get paid enough to try and live like this is systemic and it is indicative of, I think, of some really broken systems within our you know country, because in the end, I think people are just trying to work. They're trying to pay their bills. They're trying to do this. And when you at the end of the day, if they're like, hey. I did the right thing. I'm out working. I am putting in my energy and I'm not getting any. Like that has to be respected and addressed. And so I think in the end, if I'm going to point fingers anywhere, I'm pretty liable to point them at a bit giant corporation. Like just pay them more. If you're saying they're paying them 33, if they're working and they're not working half the time, I'll pay them 50. I don't pay them more. Like this seems like a pretty simple answer, but I get why I, you know, Uber's not going to do that. And so they ought to strike. What else were they supposed to do? I love your point about the gig economy. And as someone who has a 17 going on 18 year old at home, I worry about the job prospects of the future. And to your point, Phil, what if the only prospects for even a period of time are gig economy work like that? And I just, I think it's advantage employer in a big, big way. Marjorie, what do you think? Oh, you're still on mute. <laughs> Somebody had to be the one. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it's far larger than this. This is just a little speck on the spectrum of what goes on. For the past 10 years or so, I've been with a group of people trying to look at changes to the Employment Standard Act um, and how independent contractors are classified. It is a huge thing across our country and especially in Ontario, where our newcomers, immigrants are always targeted and given jobs and they sign them on as independent contractors. So they don't pay anything for these people and at the end of all of this, all of a sudden they find themselves in tax problems because they didn't understand what it meant to be an independent contractor. What it means is that there is no responsibility for you. The organization has nothing to do with you. We give you this and that's it. You run away and leave. And it is used as as a predatory thing, especially against our newcomers. So it's not just the gig economy. They're doing it to them too. What happens when you only work with Uber? Then who else are you working for? You're working for Uber. Why doesn't Uber pay the statutory things for you and have you as an employee instead of having you as a gig person? Why is it that if you are hired by a company as a security guard, they make you an independent contractor? You name the business, there is a independent contractor thing going on there. And they target people who don't know better or people who are desperate, people who need to work because they need money. And it's something that needs to be changed and it needs to be changed under the Employment Standards Act that allows us to take action against people who do that to people. It's, it's predatory and it's, it's mean and it's wrong. So good for them for going on strike and bringing it to the attention, but it goes way further than that and we need to deal with it. Yeah, and I think the questions in some way are rhetorical. Why does Uber operate this way? Because it's profitable, insanely profitable. Phil Molto. You know, I, I kept trying to reread this last night and, and to get a clarification, like what's a taxi? What's a shared you know, program? What's a, 
And it's such a vague area of, of what is your responsibility? What is your contract? And I think back, remember a good old stomp and Tom hitchhiked his way across Canada, thumb on a ride. And when I was in, in Malawi, Africa six years ago, I'd see people to side road and they put their arm up and down. That means if you pick me up, I'll help pay for your gas because I can't afford a car. So what what is the share ride system like? Is this a, a, a taxi? Is it a contract system? I remember having friends whose you know parents had a tractor trailer and they owned they, they did contract work with their tractor trailer, but it was all official. So, so they knew how much they were getting per load per mile. There just seems to be so much vagueness within this deal. You're driving alone. Is that who's? Why does that car keep stopping in front of me? Oh, it's not a taxi. It's a it's a contracted person with a private vehicle. I still find it's such a vague area of employment that in their spare time people use a personal vehicle to create a contracted business. And it's just it, it, the vagueness of it confuses me. Like they don't like the contract, but what's the contract? It just it's like a, a, a subcontract of a, of a subcontract, like a trade working under another trade underneath a general contractor. You get to a level at what, what, is your, what is your actual job? What is your contractual responsibility both ways? For how much do you show up at work? How much do you offer the company? And how much do they reimburse you? It so, it's just seems so vague. I, I, you know, I've tried reading it, and I just, I just came across more. I just find more vagueness than I do answers. Yeah, and, and that's why I kept saying that they need to fix it from the Employment Standards Act because you have to be able to definitively say what is an independent contractor and under what circumstances can this happen? It just Otherwise, seems like more opportunities, more spaces. Like you're giving, this seems to be in so many ways, you know, something that seems like a good idea. Hey, do you want to make a little extra money on the side? Do you want to find a way to kind of use your resources, but like, you know, to make more money, you already own a car, you can make some money off of it. Like it kind of, in some ways, it sounds like that too good to be true sleazy salesman. Like, Hey, you've got a car. Why don't you make a little extra money? Well, in the first place, why doesn't your first job pay you enough that you don't need to make any extra money would be a nice question to ask. But if this is your only job, why are they not doing enough to make sure that you can pay? Like there's just part of me here in so much of this stuff often feels like we let these giant corporations and these actors out here take advantage of people as they trade their labor, like they're working hard, they should make enough. They're out working a job, they're on the clock, they're ready to take a ride. Whether they're able to get a ride or not is not up to them. And so at a certain point, I just wish we protected our workers more because it drives me nuts to see people working full time and then having to work more or having to patch together multiple part-time other jobs to try and make ends meet. Like it's one of the reasons Habitat, like from a commitment standpoint, is, in a, is a living wage employer. Like we're not going to do that because people are worth more than that. And I wish that that was what this was about. I wish we would force corporations through legislation to have to care about people because in the end, it just hurts our community all around. Phil, I'm down to about 30 seconds. What two words I see so often when people are contracting out word income potential, not guaranteed, but potential income for every kind of trade, every delivery service, income potential. Phil Molto, Philip Mills, Marjorie Knight with us on the Friday Four Roundtable this morning. You've been great once again. Appreciate the time. Thanks for being here and have a great weekend. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. A great chat this morning with Philip Mills, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity, Waterloo Region, Marjorie Knight, family outreach worker with the House of Friendship, and our friend Phil Molto, 
who had run for Ward 9 in the city of Kitchener and spent about three decades in local media. You've heard their opinions. Maybe you've got a few of your own. We're going to get you to the City News Centre for an update. The Coaches Show with UC Ahokas getting you set for the Rangers and Steelheads tonight and then open lines so we can hear your thoughts today. It's all coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News. Random thought, but could you play that song for me at my funeral? I don't think I'll ever get sick of hearing the Kitchener Rangers gold song. I am more than okay with it. We got to hear it four times on Tuesday night as the Rangers beat the Guelph Storm, snapping a three-game losing skid. And as we do every Friday afternoon at this time, we check in with the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, UC Ahokas, for the coach's show. Good afternoon, UC. Oh, good afternoon. How much of a relief was it? How did it feel to get that victory on Tuesday night? I think it was really important for the for the guys because, uh, and uh, I thought before the Ottawa and uh, Kingston game, some of those games we could have got a win. And so it was good to get a decent game from us and uh, good things. Power play starting to look better and... Uh, and yeah, otherwise, uh, I think think it was a good game. They're always tough games against Guelph, so that uh, was good for our team to get a win. You mentioned the games that you played against Kingston and Ottawa, and maybe you deserved wins there, certainly played well. How much does it mean to you, you see, that the team was able to hold on to that lead late? Unfortunately, they couldn't do that on the weekend in Kingston and Ottawa. What is that telling you about the club? Well, like just uh, there, we'd made some mental errors where they that they could score. So uh, I think it's more mental side. And now it was good, good thing that we could keep the lead and uh, and we did, we hold it on. And I thought we kept them. They didn't really get that many chances in the end. So uh, that, that was a good thing, good thing for us. What did you see from your team on Tuesday night that made it successful? What was going right? Uh, I thought uh, our defensive game was good. Uh, we didn't really give up odd man rushes against. Uh, and then also uh, our, when we scored and our ozone play was getting better, uh, I thought second period we were, we were the better better team and uh, – Doing small things right, like, but I, I think the offensive zone play and the, and then we we're and our defensive game was good. Tanner Lamb scored his tenth goal of the season on Tuesday night, and we've talked a little bit through the season about the four really highly regarded young players with Cameron Reed. I know he's been out with an injury for a bit, but then Lamb and Stark and Romano. What do you think about the way these young players? who will be an important part of the team for the next several years. What do you think of their development so far this year? Well, I think, uh, well, like from Starkey, he's, he had a hot start, 
then it went a little bit down. Now he's getting back to his game again and going in the right direction. Uh, same with Lammer, uh, like a really hot start, a lot of good plays. Then he had a little bit of a not that good of a period, uh, and kind of and now also with him he's getting better. And same, but we're all sixteen-year-olds. They have to go through it and what it really takes, like how much you have to work and and battle and skate, like do the basic things, and then they can use their skill level because all of them have a great skill skill set. So uh, I think it's been this year a big thing for them is to, uh, just adapting to the level of the game, what is so different, what what they've used to. So, uh, and I think that's going going well and uh, I think they're in good progress like thinking even thinking for next year they'll be so much more ready they have a good summer and they'll be so much more ready for next season is that one of the biggest things you see that you and the coaching staff have to do as you help players develop is is build those consistent habits so that they have consistent performances game in and game out well, that's if uh, that's for uh, that's for sure. If you want to win games in this league, like you have to be able to do it every day, and you have uh, like from defensive part, you have to have the minimums what you have to do. And same thing, uh, you have to go to battles, you have to finish your lanes, uh, you have to back check like basic basic hockey things. But what wins you games, and uh, that's kind of learning it and how much it takes and getting the preparation for the games and just being in that it's not okay to play one good game and then two bad games that you have to have, you have to be consistent and uh, those kind of things. Uh, then we didn't talk about Reed. Of course, he's, I think we have three really good one, but then we have reader who is, he's special like who defensively and uh, offensively. Like uh, he's been right away, uh, really big. All of them had been impact players but i think he's been as a 16 year old you don't really see it and and i and i have to say like uh readers getting back in and i'm really happy like that's when you see how good of a 16 year old is when your team really misses him when he's when he's out i think that's such a good point and i was uh thinking the same from what i've seen from cameron reed as a 16 year old and when he left the lineup it it made a pretty big impact on that blue line didn't it yeah yeah for sure it's like all he makes players around him better and he can break out pucks and he's also as a 16 he's a really mature kid and yeah i i think uh it'll be interesting to see like of course there's a lot, a lot of time and next year is a draft year for them but uh uh i can't see there's not many better D-man in the whole world right now for that age group. You haven't seen the Mississauga Steelhead since October. Does that make it difficult to prepare for a game like tonight? No, not really, no. We always scout, pre-scout video and we see them and we played them early in the season, but of course now we pre-scouted them and uh, like and so we just have to be ready and they're a, for, for a really hard forechecking team. They go come with two guys every time. Is it is it offensive zone or is it neutral zone? Uh, like we have to be ready for that. And uh, and we know they're top key players and and watch, of course, their system. So 
we just have to be ready right away from the start. But uh, they're a good, good, good hockey club for sure. Is it important for you, UC, to see your team get on a, a little bit of a run here with 15 games to go before the playoffs? Well, every coach, I guess, would hope that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you want to keep winning, so yeah. But yeah, I think it's we had a bad slump there, and now I think we have to just get back to our back to track and doing our 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 things why we were so successful so in there in the most of the year. So uh, we have to get back on that, and if we do, I, I think uh, it'll help us for sure in the start of the playoffs. Sounds good. We look forward to seeing you at the rink for another game tonight. Thanks, UC. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. UC Ahokis, the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, joins us every Friday afternoon for the coaches' show. Did you hear that Cameron Reed is coming back to the Rangers lineup tonight? Did you hear what the coach said? Not taking anything away from the very talented Luca Romano and Tanner Lamb and Mateus Stark. But Cameron Reed might be the best player at his position in the world right now. The coach would know even better than a dumb broadcaster like me. But I will tell you that this dumb broadcaster has been extremely impressed with this young man. The Rangers' first first-round pick last year. They got Reed at number 10 and then Romano at number 11 in the draft. But that notwithstanding, really special player. It's going to be great to see him back in the lineup tonight. It's going to be great to watch him develop and grow with this Rangers team and then move on to what I'm certain will be a pro career. Rangers Steelheads tonight at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. If you can't make the game, don't worry about a thing because we have got you covered here on City News 570. Paul Fixter and I will be on the air with pregame coverage starting at 635. As you know, pregame coverage includes the fix is in for city cabs and we'll see how well paul does on his three questions tonight i know his feet will be ready for them because he was getting some pampering for valentine's day we'll talk about that during the fixes in tonight for city cabs part of our pregame show and then of course rangers steelheads and when the game is over rangers talk where we open up the phone lines and take calls from you about the game that was the season that's been the ontario hockey league in general You name it. This is your place for all of that coverage. So join us tonight at the rink if you can. If you're not going to be there, join us right here on City News 570. Pre-game show starts at 6.35. All right, a quick break. When we come back, open phone lines and the 12 o'clock talkback begins. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I just want to keep listening. Little Malcolm and Angus for you. ACDC back in black by request from Marianne on this all request Friday here on the Mike Farwell show. Send yours in anytime to Mike at 570news.com or when you call to talk to us about whatever you're talking to us about, 
leave your request with Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass. He'll make sure your song gets played on all request Fridays here on the show. We have reached the 12 o'clock talkback portion of the program where we open the phone lines to hear from you so you get to guide the conversation. And Grant, we start with you. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. A couple games ago, you had this individual on in between periods in support of the referees to wear blue. No. We had, quite some time ago, a gentleman on from minor hockey in Cambridge. When we started, we talked about how officials in minor hockey around Waterloo Region are wearing green armbands instead of orange so that fans and coaches and players know that these are referees who are beginning to learn the job. Why? Oh, okay. I hope they aren't as bad as the refs we got. Easy. Now. Well, that, see, that's the point, though, Grant. The point, like, everybody learns and everybody makes mistakes in their job or in their day. I'll bet you've made a couple of mistakes already today. And the problem is we are far too hard on the officials when they make mistakes. Well, in my opinion, you don't miss anything. Uh, well, then, uh, listen, that can be your opinion, but that is flat out wrong because you're a human being. Of course you miss things. Of so course if, you make mistakes. So if it's a championship game, it's okay to miss that. It's not, it's not okay, but it happens, right? Are you perfect, Grant? Do you ever miss anything? No, but it's... You never do? It's their job. I know it's their job, but they're human then, beings. Then you... Then if they miss calls, they shouldn't be having that job. All right. I, I, you know what? <laughs> they're human beings. I'm not going to start pounding on people, especially because it's not like we have a glaring missed call to talk about. Yes, mistakes happen. But this is that, Grant, you just identified the problem that we're trying to rectify with the segment we had several games ago in the intermission. Lay off. We have to be kinder. Nobody is perfect. I know we would love it if they were. But ain't nobody perfect. Andre, good afternoon. <laughs> we should have a background of applause. <laughs> yeah, uh, ba- <laughs> I don't have any applause. What do I have? Yeah, I knew it was going to go that way because he didn't have his little laugh. Grant, I hope you a uh, happy family day. So back to the subject that's important, Mike. Okay. And one line uh, with Jackie Wells you had. Um, I remember months ago, I think, she she was on your show before, too, about... Jackie Wells, I just want I want everybody to be caught up yep. to you, Andre. Jackie Wells, we had on the show yesterday. She lives at 250 Frederick Street, an apartment building in Kitchener that's been bought by a new owner, and many tenants have been given eviction notices. Correct. Yes. So, and, and she also spoke in the past about something about Acorn. Yes, that's a tenants' rights group in the region, yeah. yes. And she did finish the segment passionately that it could happen to you, to anybody. Sure. Out there. So, you know, in my case, and I'll go to other case, um, you never know. And I'm very grateful, you know, that I still have a chance. But for others that I see my own eyes when I was gone for almost three weeks, um, you know, it goes from the street where people drink, and then it goes from... Um, an apartment building, building at low cost that is really bad to live in. And these people that were on the street now, they have a low cost with ODSP. I witnessed this with my eyes. And the point is, is now they all smoke marijuana because they want to be on the cloud. They don't want to see reality. But what I, because I've seen that, and these are people that I knew years and years ago and they're surviving, 
Um, I would like the bottom line is I would like maybe some kind of I don't know who, but some kind of they can send a note to every mailbox that that place where they are and the people that I did talk to, they were very grateful that the Paris where they live right now at 800 bucks is not stable right now. They could lose that place if renovation hit them. It hit me years ago, Mike, if you remember. And I just want to give everybody a heads up that it's out there and we need to speak out because, yeah, there's too many and more that are going to fall out. And go Rangers. All right, Andre, thank you for the end. Go Rangers for sure. You're right. Renovations can happen or buildings can be purchased and you can be out the next week, month, whatever. I get it. And also, let's not forget the other side. I saw a crazy stat this morning in the thousands, in the thousands of cases that are before the uh, tenant board here in Ontario, landlord tenant board, and aren't getting any action. And these are for landlords who have people that aren't paying their rent and who are abusing their privileges. So it's just so it's such a mess. It's such a mess and absolutely needs to be worked on from both sides of the ledger. We'll take a break. Come back with more of your 12 o'clock talk back. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Lines are open. Call now. 519-570-2545. 1-800-570-5715. And star 570. The Mike Farwell Show. 12 o'clock talk back hour continues in a moment. On City. Oh, I want to just keep her going. Karen, great selection on all request Fridays. Actually, Karen said you could pick your fave between Funk 49 and Magic Power by Triumph. I'm like, I guess I made my choice. Love me some Magic Power. Love your requests on all request Fridays. And love your calls during the 12 o'clock talk back. Have we even talked yet about the Utes? What's a Ute? You know, the youths that were involved in that smash and grab with a gun at Conestoga Mall? Are we going to do something about what we know is happening out there? We'll continue taking calls on the 12 o'clock talk back right after this update from the City News Center on City News 570. little bit of Alice Cooper and I'm 18 for my buddy Mike, a.k.a. producer Mike, a.k.a. Mikey. Good guy from the Royal City of Guelph on this All Request Friday here on the Mike Farwell Show. We're into the 12 o'clock talkback hour where we take calls from you 
And let's get right back to the phones. Jersey Bill, good afternoon. Hey, one quick thing. Uh, with these three games coming up, are you getting any time off this week? <laughs> it's a family day weekend, and I'm spending it with my second family, the Kitchener Rangers. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, listen, I, I'm calling because I, I, I want to apologize. I, I, I might have done something which my mom would say was painting the devil on the wall, saying that, you know, a Memorial Cup, you know, might not have the same kind of tragic circumstances, what happened in Kansas City. I didn't mean to uh, imply any of that, it just that. It just it just seems to me that um, you know as we have a gun problem in the states, there seems to be a violence problem. And you just mentioned it again: uh, armed robbery in one of the malls. It just uh, you just shake your head in terms of of uh, of how uh, people are uh, you know just acting out on on violence for, for whatever reason. Well, you know, Billy, it's funny you bring this up because I I thought about you yesterday when we learned more about what happened at this Super Bowl parade in Kansas City. And it sounds like there was some sort of altercation somewhere in that large crowd. And one of the people involved obviously had a gun with them. So it might not be as uh, extraordinary as I would have thought yesterday or didn't want to think about. Yes, uh, it's just, you know, like I said, it, uh, we, we need um, everywhere in, in the world, we need governments that are, that are working to help solve our problems. And it just it just seems that... Uh, especially in the States, this, this sense of almost a desire not to have a government, but to, but to allow anarchy to run wild, it, it, just, it, it, just, it just boggles the mind. I mean, do they, do they really want the people that are, that are supporting this particular thing, and we don't need to say what it is, we know what it is, uh, are they really interested in just having the society fall apart? And have and have no no one there except themselves. I guess they feel they have their gun. They can defend themselves. They can defend their family. That's all they need. And that's that's just chaos and anarchy. And it's just really tragic. Billy, thanks for the call and thanks for the uh, sober second thought and reflection on your call earlier in the week. I'm all for it. Let's just keep the conversations going. Jack, good afternoon. Mike, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Super. There's so many topics. I know. Take your pick, right? <laughs> well, green armbands, I think you could put that on the coach, the kids, the refs, and the parents. Uh, also, could uh, our, our, our amateurs. But anyway, that's my thought on green armbands. Um, Conestoga College, uh, tough situation. Um, the Conestoga College has done an awful lot of good for this community and also raising the value of a college education in Canada, which, you know, we call it coconut college. We, we don't anymore. Um, so John Tibbetts, good leader, messed up. Um, I think we can let him go. And lastly, the jewelry store robbery. Are they going to do catch and release with these guys? Just a, just a thought. All right, Jack. Appreciate the call. You're right about what Conestoga College has done, how it has increased the value of a college education in this country, and how absolutely John Tibbetts deserves credit for that. I don't know, I, like, I, I get it when it comes to slips of the tongue, mistakes, track records, etc. But, oh my goodness, when, we're, when we get to the sorts of things we've been talking about this week, unfortunately, look, we don't have to tar and feather the guy, but uh, I, I think that there will be a, a reckoning here, and the fact that the board has spoken out indicates to me that perhaps uh, the reckoning has already begun. Mike, over to you on the 12 o'clock talkback. 
Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, first question first. How's the stink going on at the house? <laughs> Thanks for checking. I think we're almost out of the woods. We've have we've had bowls of vinegar around the house all week, and I think we're getting there. Okay. I'd like to talk about John Tibbetts here. Um, I probably have a unique perspective on this because I got... I did my master's work at a foreign university and stuff like that, and I did, took some um, uh, postgraduate diploma stuff at other foreign universities. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of surprised at, um, in my program, in master's program, there were limits on the number of foreign students allowed into each program at that university. Um, my concern here, Mike, is is there any planning going on to bring these university students here, foreign-wise? Um, like, if you bring in 30,000, 40,000, 100,000 people, right, you got to have places to house them. you got to have adequate infrastructure and all this other stuff, right? So I bet you dollars to donuts here. None of this stuff was planned out. We just have 30,000 people. And I've seen it in my own neighborhood because I live in uptown Waterloo. Uh, used to live there, where student land speculators bought these houses up that used to be fit with single-family dwellings, and all of a sudden you got nine, eight, nine students in them, and the neighborhood goes to hell. So my question is, what planning is the region, the cities, and all these guys going to do if you're going to bring this level of foreign students in here? Um, being a foreign student, it's great because you get to learn different cultures and everything else. But you know what? You can't just be ad hoc here because what I'm afraid of here, when we talk about affordability, is if land speculators are buying up uh, houses to make them uh, student um, houses, it's taking housing off the market for single-family dwelling. So I think this has got to be a better bet. If you're going to bring that level of people into our region, it's got to be better planned. And that's my thoughts for the day. All right, Mike. Appreciate the call. I would submit to you that it's not the students that caused the neighborhood to go to heck. It's the absentee landlords who speculate on the land value by turn what used to be a single-family home into a student accommodation and then just collect money. I think there has to be... I think the, the onus of responsibility is on that landowner. I don't disagree that this all seems very poorly planned. And what John Tibbetts was doing and has acknowledged is just what the rules allowed. If you want to stop it, talk to the federal government. And now the federal government is coming in with a pretty blunt instrument by way of a cap on the number of students. And you can start predicting now the implications of that within the college system or the post-secondary system in this country. So on the one hand, you left too wide a gap and some post-secondary institutions drove headlong through with great speed and perhaps took advantage here. It certainly seems that way. And now you bring in a blunt instrument on the other end and put a hard cap on and it's going to have an impact on those post-secondary institutions. So things weren't thought out well enough before in this case the blunt instrument suggests to me you got no real plan you're going to use the blunt instrument till you come up with a plan in the meantime we're going to deal with the fallout from the use of your blunt instrument again to quote our guest michael harris regional counselor early this morning 
it's a bit of a mess. And that is an understatement. We'll take more calls after this on your 12 o'clock talkback hour. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Pink Floyd for Russell today. All request Friday on the Mike Farwell Show. It's called Keep Talking. Why don't we just do that then? It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour where you talk more and you might as well just call me less. Bob, good afternoon. Hey, Mikey, little brother. Bobby, how are you? Uh, here we go. All right. Chicago, Boston, Rush. ACDC, and late at night when I got to put it in the going home gear, ZZ Top. What are you doing in my CD player, Bob? <laughs> Old school rules, brother. That's absolutely. Okay, I got to run. Thanks, man. Okay, bud. <laughs> See you later. That, that, when I, say, I said that on purpose, by the way, in my CD player, because I used to have, I thought I was the coolest kid on the street, like a six CD carousel. Put six in there at one time. And that might have been five of the six right there that Bobby just listed off. Mark, good afternoon. Afternoon, Mike. Um, happy uh, Rangers Day. Okay. Happy Rangers Day to you, too. Okay, thanks. Hope they do well tonight. I'm sure they will. I've got a fix. Uh, the fixture. The fix is in? The fix is in. Okay, what do you got? Here's what I got, Mike. What do you got? It's the Matthews watch. So I'm predicting 65 goals this season 65 goals wait he's only got well he's got 30 games to go okay yeah that's what my prediction is and now i got a question for you mike yes sir he's been with the league with toronto for six years i believe uh sure i i honestly don't know six seven i, I think it's six okay um when grusky started out with edmonton do you know how many goals he had over his first six years i do not Look it up for me, Michael. <laughs> Mark, do you have the Google? Because that's what I'm going to look it up on. Well, I don't have Google, so that's why I'm asking you, buddy. <laughs> All right, I'll look. I'll look it up, Mark. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, buddy. Thanks for the call, Kyle. Good afternoon. What a morning it has been on our little road trip. So seven o'clock in the morning, Dad messages me and says, "By the way, the SUV that we're taking." does not work it did not start this morning so we're taking your sister's car <clears throat> and then i'm like oh so we're taking two vehicles so we meet him at the uh, morriston exit there and my signal light goes out which is fine don't worry and then i'm driving and i realize my headlights don't turn on so we had to pull over go to canadian tire it took them longer for them to find my headlights than it was for me to actually change the bulbs <laughs> So I want to also add that you're now getting a caller from Trenton because that's where I am. So we could add that to the destination of callers you're getting from because the 1-800 number does not work here. So just want to let you know, Mike. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're such a cheapskate. You called, though, on the regular line, didn't you? All the way from Trenton. Say hello to CFB 
for me as you go by. Quick break. Back with more. The 12 o'clock talkback hour on the Mike Farwell Show. You're coming up, Terry. Don't disappoint me. This is City News 570. You know, I remember a few years ago, some funny things used to happen to me about 1956, 57. At that time, there was no blues scene or uh, not really any kind of scene in uh, London. I used to go out and play my guitar in the streets and sing things with a passing the hat brown. Don't try to lay some boogie woogie on the king of rock and roll. Long John Baldry, by request of Tom, here on your all-request Friday on the Mike Farwell Show. Mark called before. This is the eighth season for Austin Matthews. He has played 532 games, scoring 344 goals. It's all lovely. Wayne Gretzky, though, scored 500 goals in his first 575 games. I don't think Matthews is going to match it. As much as I love him, and I like to brag about him. Uh, Terry, i got about 60 seconds, my friend. Okay, I'll be quick, Mike. I was okay. going to say, in the, Gretzky's first handful of years, he scored 80. Uh, one year had 92 goals. 92 goals, had 85, yeah. And then a handful of 70 goal seasons. But, yeah. Um, I know you've been talking about this rental thing of, with that apartment building on Frederick Street. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, I, in the past, I've rented before, and, and I have... You know, because a lot of times buildings where I've lived in, they've not so much renovated, but they have sold them off as condos. So they have, you know, I have been forced to move out. You know, I was given two months, you know, bailout. But even even owning a home, I, I mean, I have a mortgage, so the bank technically owns the house that I'm paying the bank to live in. So I, I can be evicted any time. You know, if I don't pay my mortgage, you're going to boot me out. Sure they are. I think the, the, the key thing to have is a backup plan. You know, if, if don't assume that you're going to be at a place forever because you know things do happen, and it's unfortunate these people now are forced to relocate. But I think it's wise. I know you're going to say, "Well, these people are in." Terry, I, I'm down to ten seconds. Okay. You said you were going to be fast. Okay, I'm done, Mike. <laughs> I'm just going to say we should have backup plans. Perfect. I could have said that. I got to go. I, I'm so late now. But Terry, thank you. And yes, Terry says have a backup plan. We'll pick that thought up on Monday. No, oh, it's Tuesday. We're back on Tuesday. Long weekend, baby. Enjoy your long weekend. Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass. Rob Snow coming up. I'll see you tonight at the rink. Mike Farwell. Bye for now.